Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in honor of Lily and Abi Nissim. It has been an honor and privilege to have you both here as part of our Kahal and community. We wish you both all the best, always and in your new home. We hope to still see you here. Yeshua sincerely from the entire Kahal. Now, I think he may have had, there he is. Could you give him one to put in the, we should put the staple into the tikkun. Sammy, here you go, find out. Okay, okay, beautiful. Also, breakfast dedicated for speed and complete for Hashem, Rabbi 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 Dedicated loving memory of Jack Laboz, sponsored by his son Albert. Also, dedicated in honor of the rabbi, staff, and the entire synagogue in Kahal for all the support, inspiration, hard work, and everything they do for, for us and the community. By Lily and Avi Nissen. We got to save this one also. Hazaku Baruch, thank you so much, Sadiq. Uh, sponsored also by Jonathan Cohen, dedicated loving memory of Jonathan's father, Zalman. Alava Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Zalman Menhana for his first Askara, as well as in honor of the soldiers, the injured, the hostages, the victims, families, and Israel, and an end to the baseless hatred. We also want to say, uh, aside from saying, Jonathan, you should just know, you're really making your father proud. Ever since uh, uh, you've had to be saying Kaddish here non-stop, all the time, for classes, for tefillah, really you've been an absolute pillar, a mainstay of our synagogue, and uh, your, your father's neshama is shining very, very bright from all the zechuyot that you were giving him. Hashem should bless you, Aris, inshallah, and to be able to build your own family, to have a son just like yourself that will make you proud, Benzat Hashem. Breakfast of the class is dedicated for the success and safety of our soldiers in Israel by Wendy and Pierre Benishu. And we also have with us uh, visitors from Los Angeles, long-time listeners, first-time attenders, Azaka Baruch Misnamvar and Mishemia. God bless, welcome. Okay, let us begin. My friends, there is an interesting observation that I'd like to make. We are told that God tells Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden, that they can eat mikol etzagan, from all of the tree, trees in the garden. Whatever you want, fada, you got it. It's yours, except for one tree. Which tree can't they eat from? Etzadat. Etzadat. But what's really interesting is that the Torah's description of the etzadat is almost always half forgotten. The etzadat is not the etzadat, the tree of knowledge of good. It's rather the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's a strange thing. Why would we say that there's a tree of knowledge? Why would God make a tree of knowledge of evil? Why would they not be different trees? I remember a long time ago, I built a sukkah in London. And in London, when I built this sukkah, so we had a tree inside the sukkah. I don't know, maybe I was secretly jealous of all my non-Jewish friends who grew up with a tree in the house on the holidays. I don't know if that's the reason. But we had a big magnolia tree in the sukkah. It was gorgeous. So we built the sukkah around it. We had no other choice. And I hung from the branches of this tree apples and oranges and bananas and, uh, and, and grapes, all sorts of fake fruit, beautiful, hanging from the branches of this magnolia tree. Included in what I hung, I also hung slices of dried, of freeze-dried slice of orange slices. So round circle slices of orange. 
It was magnificent, hanging from this tree. It was glittering. It was colorful. Anyway, one day someone walks into the sukkah, looks at this tree and goes, Oh my God, is that a real tree? And I was like, Are you aware of a tree that grows every different kind of fruit? (laughs) And not only that, slices its own oranges (laughs) while they're growing. (laughs) Now, I don't blame the person. I don't blame them. (laughs) Right? In that moment when you walk out, you're surprised. You see a tree, it looks real, you're not sure. I understand. I had a lot of people asking me if my fake lemon tree was real in, uh, in Manhattan. Until I told them that most trees don't grow metal sticks that hold lemons. And they afterwards observed that, but you know, your eye doesn't catch it right away. And I don't blame them for not discerning that the, uh, the, uh, the orange was cut. But you know what I do wonder? I do wonder how you look at a tree that grows two patently different fruit and not know that that's not the same tree or that that's not a real tree. My friends, how could the tree of knowledge grow knowledge of good and of evil? What does that mean? My second question is a question I think is maybe even more fundamental. And that is, where is this tree growing? Where is it growing? Center of what? The center of the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve in the Gan Be'eden. He put them in the Garden of Eden. Gan Eden. How do you have evil in Gan Eden? That's not what grows in Gan Eden. These are fundamental questions. I think the answer points us in an interesting direction. And I think that in some ways we are learning this interesting lesson today uh, in what has been one of the most difficult weeks of Jewish existence in my life. And on a certain level, a week of one of the most beautiful uh, existence or elements of existence of my Jewish life. Because as we always say, it is only in the darkest night that we can see the brightest of lights. You take a light out in the middle of the day, in the middle of the sunshine, you can't see it. Shraga betihara mai ahanya, says the Gemara. A candle in the daytime, mai ahanya. What does it do? You can't see it. It gives no light. To see what's going on in the chats, in the Sephardic Heritage Museum chats, In other chats, days and nights disappear. People in sourcing goods and figuring it out. And I can't tell you, I was on the phone maybe 50 times yesterday with Nathan, trying to find the vest. It's approved, it's not approved. They don't need it, they need it. The soldiers are telling you that they don't have it on the ground, that their friends died yesterday, died, because they had 20-year-old equipment and they got shot in equipment that could not stop the bullets. This is what we're hearing from people on the ground, in, in the area, in the line of fire. And that's why we're raising the money uh, uh, in this group, in the Israel Emergency Fund for the Synagogue. You know, all day we went back and forth trying to find, there's a guy in Texas, it's approved by the IDF until the sale comes 
and then it's not approved. It's not the same one. The guy just wants to make the sale. You go somewhere else, not approved. You go somewhere else, it, it's supposed to be, it's going to be. The IDF's not going to accept it anyway. It doesn't fit the vest, etc., 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 etc. But every single time people come up against a, bl- a brick wall, yesterday they sourced thousands of, char- of chargers. And then they realize that these chargers, which have lithium batteries, can't go on a plane that has any passengers on it. So even though El Al is dedicating and donating all of its cargo space for free, at least in parts, yes? Four, five, six planes went yesterday. It's unbelievable what's going on in certain cases, in certain places. You can't get it on the plane. You have to find... So what happens when the people find out they hit a brick wall? What are they doing? They're finding another way. Turning around, getting a charter. Turning around, finding another supplier. My friends, you're witnessing human ingenuity, human dedication to saving a life that is, in my my experience, I've not seen something like this. I've been around the block a couple of times. So my friends... I think sometimes in order to be able to understand and have a beautiful understanding of good, you also need to understand the face of evil. You know, there'll be a lot of people at the rally today supporting Eretz Israel, supporting Israel. And I'm certain that there will be dissenting voices. Voices that claim to be on the side of human rights. Voices that claim to be, you know, on, standing on behalf of innocent people. And they could look at a video with children in cages and they could read about people who were, again, listen to me carefully, raped to death. Not raped and then killed. Raped to death. And they could say, yes, but. There is no yes, but the worst human atrocities. There is no justification for the worst human atrocities. The BBC is no friend of Israel. Yesterday or two days ago, they differentiated between Israel that when civilians are killed, are killed in unavoidable attempts to be able to kill only soldiers. And when you grab a child out of their bed or a woman out of her home and you kidnap her, those are not the same thing. My friends, these people that will stand there, people that really fight, they fight a good fight for people who are underprivileged. I do believe that there is some light there in some of these people, not in Hamas, but in the people who think, who are campaigning. The problem is that they have knowledge of good, but they are blinding their eyes to a knowledge of evil. They've eaten from one half of the tree the tree of the knowledge of good, but they have not eaten from the tree of the knowledge of evil. It is a people, my friends, that are trying to institute reforms in our communities as well, who blind themselves to what happens when you let pure criminals out of prison. And they love to pat themselves on the back and tell themselves that they're doing it for the sake of this prisoner who should not remain in prison. But then that prisoner who is a deranged murderer winds up killing again. That is what it means to not know or to pretend to not know 
or to close your eyes to what the face of evil looks like. You cannot have Gan Eden. You cannot have a utopia or a utopian society unless you are willing to call out that which is evil. You cannot be about peace and love when there's someone running around your peace and love fest with a knife or an axe or a machine gun. The rave with hundreds of young people was slaughtered was actually a rave that had Jews and non-Jews and Arabs at that rave. It was actually a campaign, a peace music festival for Gaza. Was anyone wondering why it was in uh, a desert, a deserted area on the outskirts of Gaza? That's why. But evil can kill the people who are trying to help it. Evil doesn't care about you or your name. It cares only about its own agenda. And if you cannot see and you cannot call out evil, then you do not and you cannot and you will never have utopia. My friends, you cannot release funding to a terrorist regime. You cannot show them a softness and not expect this to happen. That's what it means. That there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it's planted in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Because in the underpinnings of any good thing is a positive, upbeat attitude. It's not being overly or overtly critical of small things. But at the same time, a person needs to be able to identify when there is a cancer that is growing. Years ago, I was at a rally, an Israel rally in London. And there was a car driving down the road and it had a, uh, a flag, a Palestinian flag. People were booing and cursing. And I, you know, I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't as loud. I was, I'm Yisrael Chaying, but not. And they said, well, how come you're not joining the chance? Death to Palestinians. I said, because I don't want Palestinians to die. I don't want them to die. You know, for them, every number of a dead person is the biggest celebration. It's like candles on a freaking birthday cake. The more that die, the happier they are. For us, if it's a soldier, if it's a terrorist that's trying to kill people, yes, we're happy that that is a threat which is neutralized. But to rejoice over the death of one innocent human being, my friends, that is also pure evil. It is a sickness, and it is a sickness that is contagious. And I don't know if we caught it from them, or quarter from somebody else. But that is something that we cannot allow into our hearts or into our minds. Hashem should bless us, Bezat Hashem, to be able to understand this. Cain, in the story of the Garden of Eden, is a person who has a great idea. 
And what is Cain's great idea? He wants to bring a sacrifice to God. Is there anything more beautiful than Cain's idea to bring a sacrifice to Hashem? Anything? Beautiful, right? Gorgeous. He's bringing a sacrifice to God, showing gratitude to Hashem, right? It's the first one that's recorded in the Torah. That's pretty amazing. Hevel sees, Abel sees what Cain did. What does Hevel do? He photocopies. The Sfarim tell us that why is Hevel called Hevel? Hevel means nothing. Hevel means a breath. It's nothing. It's nothingness. Says King Solomon in Kohelet, Hevel Havalim Amar Kohelet. Nothing of nothingness. Most of this world is just nothingness. It's just stupidity. It's just anxiety. It's just greed. It's just honor. It's things that don't matter. So King Solomon that had everything was able to say, I look at the pleasures of this world. Most of it, it's just, it's so inconsequential. It just doesn't matter. Okay? Hevel, he doesn't exist. You know why Hevel doesn't exist? Because when you copy someone who's doing a good thing, you've done nothing. You've copied him. You've magnified who he is. But you've done, you, yourself, you've brought nothing new, original, creative to the table. So Hevel is called Hevel. That's what the Sfarim tell us. You, each and every one of us, is supposed to bring an element of goodness to the world, which is uniquely ours, which has our signature on it. We're supposed to find our lane. And in that lane, that's a lane of tremendous success. It's a lane when we find that lane, where it doesn't hurt. The effort that you put in to being great doesn't hurt. It's what they call flow. You know, when an athlete is in his zone, in his sport, or in you know, doing the thing that they do, the harder they work, the better they get. They can play for hours, seemingly without getting tired. You may have experienced this before. I'm a rabbi sometimes... You know, you think, how long could you give a class for? I think the longest class I ever gave was over five hours long. I'm going to try to top that today. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so on Yom Kippur, so on Yom Kippur in, uh, in, uh, in London where they had an explanatory service, and I was leading for people that never prayed, that didn't speak any Hebrew, they asked me to lead a service in English that they could understand that would be meaningful for them. And that's what we did in that synagogue. We prayed very small bits in Hebrew, but we did it with tremendous feeling and understanding as to what we were saying. We did vidui in English. People were, uh, were very, very overcome with emotion because for the first time in their life, they're connected to Judaism. How did I speak for five hours straight? Because I was born to do this. I don't have a voice, I'll whisper to class. I, don't have a, I can't whisper, I'll do interpretive dance. I don't know what's going to happen. But a class is going to go. This class must go on. Hevel doesn't do that. My friends, but I want to show you something. Whilst Hevel is not original, and Cain is, Cain has a different flaw. Cain's creativity, what does it allow him to do? It allows the guy whose intentions are so pure that he brings the first korban, to turn his own brother into a korban, to murder him in cold blood. 
My friends, they say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. For many, many years, I misunderstood what that sentence, what that quote meant. For many years, I thought that that meant, look, there's a lot of people in hell. <laughs> there's a lot of people who are in, a, in the wrong place who started out with good intentions. And along the way, they dropped them, they changed. But I don't think that that's what the person who wrote this quote was actually trying to say at all. You know, when you pave a road, it helps you get there faster. There are people whose good intentions not only don't stop them from creating a hell on earth, but they pave the way. The Mishnah and Avot teaches us, Kol ha-merachem al ha-achzarim. When a person finds mercy for the cruel, sofol hit achzer al harachmanim. In the end, they find they become cruel to those who are kind. And you think to yourself, how could that Mishnah be right? If I have so much compassion that I can even find compassion in my heart for cruel people, surely I'll find compassion. For kind people. But my friends, take a look. Take a look. That's not how it works. It's wild. That's not how it looks. And I want to share with you one observation. An observation that was made by Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell pointed out something fascinating. He said that when there are two things on opposite sides of a spectrum, we almost always imagine those two things as being furthest apart from one another. Right? So he starts with an example of a school teachers, of school uh, quotas, if you will, in a classroom. So you'd think a huge class with lots of kids is terrible because the kids don't get any attention, right? What's the other side of the spectrum? the fewest amount of kids in the class. So that's obviously the best for the kids. Meanwhile, that's not, not the case. That's not the case. Why? Because children in a classroom don't only grow from their teachers, they also grow from the social interaction, and they also grow from the opinions of their peers, which are brought out, which are debated. So therefore, a good education is not when there's 40 kids in the class or when there's five kids in the class. The right number, if I'm not mistaken, I think he pegs the right number at 17, which is ironic, because in Judaism, that's the numerical value of the word tov, which means good. It stresses me even more that the Torah says it, lo tov adam levado. It is not good for a person to be alone, which is why I believe that people should marry 17 wives. <laughs> it's obviously a joke. Sephardim are allowed to marry more than one wife, but it is highly not recommended. <laughs> a successful man on this planet is one that has managed to forge a clean, competent, good, uh, fulfilling, meaningful, giving relationship with one wife. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what Malcolm points out I call him Malcolm because we have drinks every week. 
Malcolm points out is that actually it's not a stick or a line, it's what he calls an inverted U. Where the two ends of the spectrum are actually right next to each other. A terrible education is two kids in a class, is 40 kids in a class, or 50 kids in a class. But then he notes something unbelievable. How interesting is it when you find that the furthest left could be in bed with the furthest right? Where you could have a march for women's rights, which is led by a person who is in support of terrorist organizations that abuse women. God bless you, Linda Sarsour, open your eyes. How do we not see this? That the woman who's talking about women's rights is supporting the people who raped women to death only two days ago. And she'll whip out a handy yes but and a yes but. That's what it means. That's what it means when you say that the tree of knowledge is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. What we saw over the last couple days was very important for what I call the re-education of the West. Because it seems like, I don't know if it will last, it usually doesn't. You know, you'd think that after the Holocaust, we were good. Like, they learned, right? Obviously, they learned. The UN that helped us get that country, because obviously, Jews need a place where they can be safe. Obviously. That same UN, only yesterday, the UNHRC, the Human Rights Council, stood up and mourned the loss of life in the Palestinian territories and elsewhere. That was what they stood up for yesterday. We can't even keep a lesson alive in the same freaking building. The building that understood that if you don't let Jews have a land, if they don't let them have self-determination, then they will be slaughtered again and again and again. The better the intentions sometimes when you are ignoring evil, the worse the person can be. Now, I'm not one of those people that believes that everyone in the HRC is horrible. I don't believe that. I believe that they have, some of them at least, some good intentions. And they're buying a narrative that Pallywood is selling very well. But at some point, we need a snake in the building to hand someone an apple and say, take a bite. Tov, understand, good. But please, understand that you also need to understand and know what Ra is. My friends, what you learn on an extreme level is what you learn on a minute level. And oftentimes, 
the most powerful way of educating is in taking the most obvious example, the most bitter, extreme example of something, and then recognizing that what is true here is true all the way down that line. And I would ask that this becomes a refrain in your brain. A refrain in your brain. When I do good, am I recognizing that in a lot of good, there's also bad? And that in understanding bad, I can make sure that the good that I do is distilled, is clarified, is purified. There are times where giving charity to somebody helps them. But that only works when you understand the nature of a human being's evil tendencies. There are times when helping someone by giving them unemployment checks is a really great kindness and chesed. But if you do not recognize that human beings inherently have a streak of laziness, that at a certain point, they're gonna look at the money that you're giving them and think to themselves, why should I ever work again? If you don't realize that that is something, then what you'll do is you'll wind up not only not helping, but you'll wind up hurting far more than you helped. You teach a father that he doesn't need to work, that he can collect tzedakah or handouts or welfare checks for his whole life. You haven't ruined one life, my friends. You've taught an entire family that hard work is for losers. And gaming and Netflix is for winners. The road to hell is oftentimes paved with bad intentions. Understand that when you want to discipline your child and you see that discipline is a good thing, recognize that part of discipline is the crushing of a child. Part of making the kid realize that they did wrong is that the kid needs to feel a little bit, a little bit ashamed of what they've done. I'm not telling you to lead with shame or teach with guilt. But when someone recognizes that they've done wrong, what do we say? There are children that at a certain point in their growth, or maybe going through something right at this moment, that a little bit more shame is all they need to push them over the edge. So understand that when you're trying to do something good, there's oftentimes a little bit of evil in there that you need to contend with. You might decide that you still need to do what you need to do. But if your eyes are open, my friends, then you can navigate around it. Then you could learn to minimize it. Then you could figure out how to help that element not get hurt, even if you can't do it. It can be provided by somebody else. I'll end with this. There was a rabbi who had a situation in his yeshiva with a boy and the boy did something that was unconscionable. There was no way he could keep him in the yeshiva. So he told the boy, I'm really sorry, we can't have you here. It's damaging to all the other boys in the school. 
you have to leave. Go pack your things. The boy started to leave. And he started to pack his things. And about 10 minutes later, Rabbi knocks at his door. And he says, are you all packed? He says, yes. He goes, okay, my car's downstairs. He says, w for what? He goes, where are you going to go? You're in a yeshiva. You don't, your parents don't live here. I'm telling you, you can't stay in the dorms. You're going to come and move into my house. Because you might be a negative influence with uh, drugs or whatever it is in the school. We can't have you sleeping over here. We can't have you here. But ha that doesn't end my obligation to treat you with respect, to try and raise you, to help you. That's a man who understands tovara and creates, even if you have to have a bit of plan, an alternate plan to be able to solve for that problem so that the net result is just tov. I think maybe that's the pshat in the pasuk when it says, Ach tov vachesed yirdefuni kol yemei Ach tov means only good and kindness. Only good and only kindness shall chase me. Yirdefuni kol yemei Because there are kindnesses and there's good that's not so good. So when we pray to Hashem for it, we ask Him for the ultimate good. And we all ask in these days, God, for the ultimate good, for the revealed good, the coming of Mashiach, the end of all wars between all peoples, the ability to live lion and lamb lying together. No longer will they need to teach war. They will beat their swords into plowshares. Bezrat Hashem. And we will be zocher to merit, to see the world living in its perfection. A time when people know the difference between good and evil. A time where we live in a human and revealed Garden of Eden. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi